Momentarily, I will be reading and preaching from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. But as the pastors of old would often say, in the New Testament, we have the Old Testament revealed. But in the Old Testament, we have the New Testament concealed. And so I want to begin by reading from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, because in this passage, there is anticipation for what God fulfills in Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is God's word. Now, before we turn to John chapter 7, let me set the stage a bit by reminding us what we already know, that the Christian life is a daily battle. And in the fog of war, it is very easy to lose your way, to get disoriented, to lose your hope. A trouble from the outside comes against you and it hurts. A struggle wells up within you and it harms. And right then and there, you need help. Right there at that fork in the road where your life actually happens, where you face that choice point. Do I go here or do I go there? That's when you need a simple yet comprehensive word of good news. It's memorable. It's accessible. It locates you in the real world. A word from the Lord that promises you grace and a word from the Lord that calls you to receive the grace that he gives. In my own Christian life, I have found it very easy to get disoriented and lose my way in the fog of war. And that's why I have found John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, a very simple 
accessible, memorable, helpful word from Jesus Christ. And I offer it to you this morning. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And I'm going to be reading from the alternate translation footnoted in your English Standard Version Bible, because as I'll explain in just a few minutes, there are actually two possible ways of rendering the Greek text. I'm going to be reading from the alternate translation. John chapter 7, verse 37 and following. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and let him who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on your people this morning, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so we humbly, yet confidently request that you would open the eyes of our hearts and that you would enable us to see the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want us to consider this short text in three parts. First of all, we'll consider the occasion. Secondly, we'll consider the proclamation. And finally, we'll consider the Apostle John's own interpretation. First of all, consider with me the occasion. On the last day of the feast, the great day, verse 37. It's a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. You can read and learn about this in Leviticus chapter 23. It was a week-long feast that took place in the fall in Israel, about mid-October by our calendar. And it was a feast of thanksgiving where God's people would come to Jerusalem and give thanks to God for sending the rain from heaven to produce the harvest of grapes and olives. But it was more than a feast of thanksgiving. It was a feast that on the one hand looked back into the past to God's saving work, but also a feast that looked forward into the future, anticipating God's greater saving work. And it was a feast that was filled with vivid symbols of three types. First of all, the people came to Jerusalem and kids, I think you'll like this. Can you imagine? They came to Jerusalem once a year and they spent a full week camping out in little huts. And they got to make these little huts, these happy campers making these little huts all week long, taking palm 
myrtle, willow branches, and making these little huts in Jerusalem. It was a signpost. God was teaching his people and their children, I want you to look back into the past and I want you to remember the exodus. I want you to remember the day when I pitched my tent with you there in the wilderness. But not only do I want you to look back into the past, I also want you to look forward into the future because the day is coming when I will pitch my tent and dwell with you in a new way forever and ever. That was the first signpost. There was a second. The people came daily to worship to the temple. God's temple in Jerusalem was a picture of God's dwelling place. It was built in such a way that it reminded God's people of Eden, the artistry, the imagery. It was a signpost that taught God's people to look back and remember their entrance into the promised land because the promised land was a foretaste of their return to the Garden of Eden. Look back, but also look forward because the day is coming where I want you to anticipate a much greater entrance, a new day when I will lead you back into a greater Eden. That was the second signpost. But there was a third, and this was the most dramatic. The high priest led the people of God through this dramatic liturgy. The priest would take a pitcher and he would march down to the pool of Siloam and all of the people would follow behind and he would come to the pool and with his pitcher reach down, draw up the water and return to the temple. And all the while, God's people are shouting, lift up your hand even as we did in our call to worship from Isaiah chapter 12. And the priest would take that pitcher of water and pour it into a basin to the east. And then he would take another pitcher filled with wine and he would pour that pitcher of wine into a basin to the west. And the people would shout again from Isaiah chapter 12, you will draw water with joy from the wells of salvation. And this would take place once a day for six days. But on the last day, the great day, they would reenact this dramatic liturgy seven times to climax the feast. It was a signpost. God's people being trained to look back and remember the saving waters that flowed from the rock of Moses. But God was also training his people to look forward and anticipate the saving waters that one day will flow from the final temple. The prophets, as it were, could stand on tiptoe and look down the corridors of time 
because they saw the day that was coming when waters would gush forth into the wilderness. Isaiah chapter 35, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. God speaking through the prophet, waters will gush forth in the wilderness. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Zechariah the prophet could see it too. On that day, he wrote, living waters will flow from Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter 47, the prophet sees the same, a vision of water flowing from the new temple. And kids, do you remember the story of the new temple to come? And out of the backside of the temple, there's this little stream. It's flowing. And at first, that little stream is ankle deep, but then it keeps flowing. And it becomes knee deep. And then it keeps flowing. And it becomes waist deep. And it keeps flowing and flowing until the prophet says, Wherever the river goes, everything will live. You can swim in it. And you will live. May I ask you this morning, are you thirsty? In the Bible, thirst is a symptom of living in the wilderness. And that is the world in which you woke up this morning. We're not home yet. God's people journey in this broken, fallen wilderness. Are you thirsty? In other words, are you wakeful to your spiritual poverty? Do you recognize that every day I and you, if we're honest, face this double trouble? On the one hand, there is evil outside of you that presses hard against you. It's the problem of human suffering. And so you thirst for God's shelter and comfort. Maybe you've experienced a loss, a relationship, a physical capacity. Maybe you've lost a dream that will never come true because something hard has happened to you. It's the problem of human suffering. Maybe it's a betrayal. Maybe it's words that were spoken to you that cut like a knife. Maybe it's a wrong that you suffered. Maybe it's a chronic pain. It's the problem of human suffering. And you know yourself to be thirsty for God's consolation. But there's not only the problem of evil that comes against you, there's also the problem of evil living in me and living in you that wells up and springs from you in words, in deeds, in choices. And it hurts people. 
And so you thirst for God's pardon, his mercy. But not only that, you thirst for his power. Change me. You are wakeful to what the Bible calls deceitful desires, the lusts of the flesh that produce the works of the flesh. I love how the African-American pastors and brothers put it this way. Deceitful desires will find you. They will blind you. And they will bind you. It's like the hijacker sitting in row 17, seat B, that gets up and storms the cockpit to take over your heart and lead your life in directions that cause trouble. Are you thirsty? Not only for God's consolation, but also for God's transformation. If you are thirsty, then I want you to I want you to watch carefully because there is a person who is sitting down who is about to stand up. Consider with me, secondly, the proclamation. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and let him who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I want you to notice two things. First of all, to the one who is thirsty, Jesus gives a command, an invitation. Let the thirsty one come to me. You see what he's doing. He's speaking the truth in love to rescue you. Our tendency when we struggle with suffering and sin is to turn in and down into a downward spiral. But Jesus speaks these words to rescue us from the downward spiral and from the deceptive saviors that we might turn to. Any alternative to him we might consider. But secondly, Let the one who believes in me drink from me. He's speaking a word to refresh us this morning. How do we know? How do we come? Not with our feet, but with our faith, with trust, with childlike belief. It was about this time 11 years ago that my family knew that my father was dying of pancreatic cancer. And in the last week of his life, he gave me this very simple, vivid, true picture of what it means to believe on Jesus. With each passing day, he would become increasingly thirsty and weak and longed for a cold sip of water. And it became so weak that we had to hold up the glass of water close to his mouth 
And all that was left for my father to do was to open his mouth and receive. That's what Jesus means by coming and believing. You see, the solution to our woes and our wanderings, our our sufferings and our sins is a relational transaction. Not turning in on ourselves, but turning out and up to a person and having an honest conversation. Jesus, I need you. And I've been watching you. And I've been reading about you in the Gospels. And I've come to understand that you can help me. And so I come to you. I lift up my soul to you. I open my heart to you. I receive the grace that you give. I am yours. Save me. I'm not working to earn a wage from you. I'm trusting to receive a free gift from you. That's the first thing I want you to notice. To the one who is thirsty, Jesus gives this command. Come to me. Come to me. But secondly, I want you to notice, to the one who is thirsty, Jesus makes a promise. Did you notice? As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, the interpretive question here in the text is, out of whose heart? The Greek text allows for two possible translations. Some take his heart to refer to the believer, that is to say, the person who comes to Jesus by faith. Now, that's a true principle, but I don't think it springs from this text. That's John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, Out of her heart flow rivers of living water because she has found Jesus. Here, Jesus is referring to the Old Testament scriptures. And the Old Testament scriptures never refer to the believer as the source of living water. And what is more, in John's gospel, you will find this recurring pattern. Jesus comes to fulfill and replace the Old Testament symbols. So for example, Solomon built the temple as God's dwelling place in Jerusalem. But in the Gospel of John chapter 1, we learn Jesus comes and John writes, God became flesh and dwelt among us. That is to say, Jesus is God's true and final temple. He comes to fulfill and replace the old. Another example. Kids, remember, Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by the snake but looked at the bronze snake, they lived. But in John chapter 3, Jesus comes and he says, I must be lifted up on the cross that everyone who believes in me may have eternal life. Jesus comes to fulfill and replace the old. Another example. God sends manna from heaven to feed the Israelites in the wilderness. But then we read in John chapter 6, Jesus saying, I am the living bread 
that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus comes to fulfill and replace the Old Testament symbols. In the same way, and this is the point, Jesus comes to fulfill and replace the Old Testament symbol here. Watch closely. On the last and great day of the feast, in the midst of this dramatic liturgy, Jesus stands up and cries out, I am the fulfillment of all that this feast commemorates and anticipates. Every year you look for waters of salvation, but every year the waters run dry. But today is different. Today is the day that you have anticipated. I am the better rock of Moses. I am the final temple of God. And from my heart will flow to your heart rivers of living water. So if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. Are you thirsty? Is your neighbor here in Walkleton, Indiana, is she not thirsty? Is he not thirsty? Maybe a parent like you, weary from the pushback of daily parenting. Or maybe it's the culture that drip, 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 and just wears you down. It's the problem of human suffering. Or are you thirsty? Is your neighbor thirsty because of deceitful desires that trip you up and trap? Maybe it's the craving for respect. Maybe it's the craving for comfort. Maybe, and I've met a lot of men like this, you're tripped up and trapped by ungodly anger. You want something so badly, but something gets in the way and you can't get what you want. And so what do you do? What do I do? You get angry. It's the human condition. Maybe it's not anger. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's not an addiction. Maybe it's anxiety. Are you thirsty? Is your neighbor thirsty? Where will we go to find water to quench our thirst? At its best, the world can only offer partial relief. And at its worst, the world can only peddle phony relief. But Jesus gives true consolation and true transformation because the water Jesus gives goes right down to the bottom of your soul. It changes you. We've considered the occasion. We've considered the proclamation. Let's conclude thirdly with John's own interpretation. Verse 39. Now this Jesus said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want you to notice two things. First of all, the gift of living water is the person of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, 
and He will give you another Helper, the Spirit of Truth. And then on the other hand, in the next sentence, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. In other words, the New Testament teaches that the work of the Holy Spirit is so closely identified with the person of Jesus that to have the Holy Spirit is to have Jesus himself. It's why the Apostle Paul prays for you in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Did you hear that? He's asking that Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, might dwell in your hearts through faith. And notice, secondly, the way this gift of the Spirit comes to us is through the way Jesus is glorified. How so? Well, from one perspective, Jesus was glorified on Sunday when God raised him from the dead. And that was certainly glorious. But from the Apostle John's perspective in this gospel, Jesus is seen to be especially glorious on Friday when he was lifted up on the cross. Remember Exodus chapter 17 that I read from earlier. The Israelites are going through the wilderness and there's no water, and they're grumbling and complaining against Moses. And Moses goes to the Lord and says, what am I to do? And the Lord says, here's what you do. I want you to take that rod of judgment, the same rod with which you judged the Nile. Take the rod of judgment and pass in front of the people. Don't strike the people but pass in front of the people. And I will stand and identify myself with the rock. And I want you to take the rod of judgment and I want you to strike the rock. And Moses did so. And out of the rock gushed forth living water and the people drank and lived. Here's the good news for you this morning. Jesus Christ is the true rock who receives God's judgment on the cross. That's what we're celebrating this morning at the Lord's table. The people grumbled against God in the wilderness, testing him, saying, is the Lord for us or not? Is the Lord for you? Take a long look at the one who was lifted up for you on Friday. On the cross, Jesus is most glorified as the Lord who is with you and for you. Look at Jesus trading places with you on the cross. Do you remember what he said? I am thirsty. He goes into the desert he comes under God's curse. And because Jesus comes under God's curse, believers in Jesus come under God's blessing. From the death of Jesus comes the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Jesus to everyone who would believe on Jesus. 
is Walkerton, Indiana, thirsty. Like you, like me. Do they suffer? Do hard things happen to them? And they long for real consolation. Are they thirsty? Do they get tripped up and trapped by sin like me and like you? Do they long for true transformation? It's right here. It's right here revealed revealed in Jesus. I promise you, I'm not a prophet, but I've lived long enough to know that this week you're going to live out in the wilderness And this week, you're going to find yourself thirsty. And this week, this text says, promises, you can drink in and work out the grace that God gives in Jesus. Right then, right where you need it most. Right there at that fork in the road. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it never ceases to bear fruit. Jeremiah 17. Jesus has lived. Jesus has been judged. Jesus has been raised. And now Jesus sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father and has received the promised Holy Spirit and gives the Spirit to his people. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and let him who believes in me drink from my heart will flow to your heart rivers of living water. Come to him, drink from him, live by him. Let's pray. Father, nowhere else do we find news like this, but only in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for revealing your grace to us again this morning in your written word. And we thank you this morning also that you purpose to strengthen us as we partake and celebrate and look upon and, and take in this visible word, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We pray that by both the preaching and the sacrament, you would strengthen your people, that you would bring true consolation and true transformation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.